0: Uh, I would like to begin this morning with a question for you to consider as I begin the morning message this morning, and I'm going to ask our video tech to bring up the uh, question for us, and here it is on the screen this morning. And the question that I want you to think about (laughs) is a very important question. And uh, here it is. All right. Now, we all planned that so we would have your attention, okay? Nothing here is by accident, all right? But I want you to think about this. What drew you to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? His judgment? His love? Or both? When John Stott was pastor of All Souls Church in London, England, he once actually polled his congregation on this very question. What do you suppose the number one answer was? It was the love of Christ. The vast majority were brought to Christ by the winsome love of Jesus displayed in the gospel. Now, I wonder, does that surprise you this morning? It was not the judgment of Christ, but the love of Christ that melted most hearts. Now, you know, that was not the case with my father. With him, very clearly, it was the judgment of Christ. As a teenager, my dad returned to church after a very long absence. And when he did, he heard a sermon on hell. That shook him to the very core, and he became a Christian. But then a very interesting thing began to happen in my father's life. The more he learned about the gospel of Christ, the more he was captivated by the love of Jesus. In fact, eventually his favorite song became the love of God. And before he died, he requested one song be sung at his funeral, the love of God. I have a suspicion that that's the way it is with most of us. It could well be that the judgment of God gets our attention. But the more we learn about Jesus and what he did for us, it is the love of God that captures our hearts. And I would dare say this this morning, for the vast majority of us, it is the love of Jesus that motivates us to change and live for Him. Would you agree with that this morning? Uh, There's a wonderful pastor uh, by the name of um, uh, Francis Chan. And Francis Chan had this to say, and I want you to listen carefully to what he said. I don't hesitate to say that if we truly grasp the improbability and overwhelming power of God's love, we would be changed forever. We would think differently, feel differently, live differently. Read the last statement with me. Nothing would be the same. And all of God's people said, Amen. Now this morning we are continuing in our series on the life of Joseph and as we do we are coming to a message that I'm entitling, A Fruitful Life is Changed by the Love of God. So far in the series on the life of Joseph, it's been the fear of judgment that has been working on the ten older brothers. They have now begun to realize that God is dealing with them and it has awakened their conscience. But as we come here today, there is a surprising twist. God begins to show them extraordinary love. And God now seeks to melt their hearts further, not with fear, but with mercy that drives out fear. Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's turn to Genesis chapter 43. In the Pew Bible in front of you, it's about page 43. And let's begin this morning to understand God's merciful love to these brothers through their 11th brother, Joseph. Turn with me to Genesis 43 and I want to begin with this prayer. As they now make their second visit down to Egypt to meet this unrecognized brother, the ruler over Egypt, Joseph. And notice how Jacob prays for them. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may He send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Now before Jacob sends his ten brothers back to the unknown to them, Joseph, he prays for them. Do you know, this is the very first prayer for mercy in the Bible. Your finger on verse 14 is the very first time somebody calls for mercy. And I just want to say, can you think of anyone less deserving than these brothers for mercy? I mean, with all that we know of them, we want to say instead, condemn them. Pay them back. That's what they deserve. But mercy is not about what we deserve, is it? Mercy is about what God freely gives if we accept that mercy. Now, I have a question for you. Is this prayer answered here? What do you think? Amen to that yes. Amen to that yes. How do we know? Look down at verse 30 and notice what happens toward the end of this chapter. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, And he entered his chamber, and he wept there. Do you see that word compassion? The same word for mercy back in verse 14, literally verse 30 reads, His mercies were heated up. I want you to see what's going on here. This whole section, it is bracketed from beginning to end by mercy Joseph is the answer to the prayer to God. Joseph is the mediator of God's love to these brothers. Uh, Let me just stop for a moment. Who is the mediator of God's love to you and me? Jesus Christ. Do you know what we're seeing here? We are seeing that Joseph is an illustration of Jesus. How many knew that Joseph in the Old Testament is an illustration of Jesus? How many knew that? Okay, some of you did. What we see here is a picture of Jesus' merciful love for you and for me. Now let's do two things in our message. Let's see Joseph's merciful love to melt the hearts of these brothers. And then let's see how this is an illustration of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me this morning? What a wonderful thing to preach Christ from the Old Testament. That's what we have. So let's see, first of all, Joseph's merciful love to his undeserving brothers. First of all, I want you to notice that he relieved them over their anxiety about the money. Look at verse 15 and follow along with me. So the men took this present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin... They arose, and they went down to Egypt, and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house, and slaughter an animal, and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him, and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid." Because they were brought to Joseph's house and they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house. And they said, Oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought our other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Now you know on the first trip, when the brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain, they had no idea who Joseph was. On the return trip, they discovered their money all returned in their sacks. The Bible says in verse 28 of chapter 42, they were absolutely shocked, and this is what they said, what has God done to us? They were certain they would be accused of stealing, and so on the trip back, they bring double the money, and as I just read, they have a very, very careful explanation to convince Joseph and his steward they had nothing to do with this. But did you know what the steward did, verse 23? He totally ignored their explanation. And he totally ignored their money. In fact, he said in verse 23, I received your money, that's a legal idiom. It literally means I got your payment, there's no more claim. Essentially, don't worry about the money. And then he said, your God is the one who gave you this money. What I learn here from this, we never would have known in chapter 42, is Joseph intended the returning of their money as a gift for them, not to frighten them. And then notice, secondly, he returned Simeon to them in a healthy way. You see, all this time, they've worried about Simeon, who for months and months has been in this Egyptian dungeon. I don't know about you, but a man accused of spying usually doesn't do well in prison, does he? I mean, by this time, he could have easily been sold. And yet, when he comes out, he's healthy. And there's no evidence of any harm. And then notice that Joseph extended Middle Eastern hospitality to them. Look at verse 24. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, Joseph takes care of their every need, including even feeding their animals. Do you know, for foreigners to be brought into the home of an Egyptian ruler was absolutely unthinkable. That would be like us showing up one day uninvited to the White House and the Chief of Staff, General Kelly, comes out and says, I'm so glad you're here. Let's come on in and have a private audience. And by the way, I'll send my men to fill up your tanks with gas. (laughs) And then notice he spoke kindly to them about their welfare. Look at verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present they had with them, and they bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, his only full brother. And he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber, and he wept there. Do you remember on the first visit? He accused them of being spies, and he spoke harshly to them. Now he inquires not only about their father's welfare, but he inquires about their welfare. And when he sees Benjamin, verse 30, his compassions grew warm and he wept. As we said earlier, his mercies were heated up. Joseph is becoming warmer and more personal and then notice he dined with them in a lavish banquet look at verse 31 then he washed his feet and came out and controlling himself he said serve the food They served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his birthright, and the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of the others. And they drank and were merry with him. Egyptians would not eat with foreigners, and shepherds were especially loathsome to them. Yet, look at this banquet. And did you notice, in verse 34, they got food brought to them from Joseph's own table. Can you say with me, fancy eating? Can you say steak? Caviar? Lobster? And these are men with no food supply, These men have not eaten like this for months and months. As a matter of fact, they have probably never eaten like this in their lives. And then remember, remember, what did they do when they threw Joseph into that pit at the beginning of the Joseph account? What did they do? They sat down above that pit and the Bible says they ate their lunch while Joseph with nothing pled for mercy. They ignored his cries for mercy while they ate. And what do we see here? His mercies were eaten up of him. They were heated up while his brothers ate." Look at this this morning. What's going on here? What is it that we are supposed to learn from this? Well, I want to give you the answer in the words of Bernard of Clairvaux. He was an early Christian leader and He wrote two very wonderful songs about the love of Jesus that we still sing today. And I believe he gives us the answer as to what is going on here. Would you read the answer with me this morning? Join me. He loves you more than you love Him. And He loved you before you loved Can I hear an amen from us this morning? How many of us in what we have just seen see Jesus in Joseph? How many? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And that's what God intends. God intends through the actions of Joseph toward his brothers that we would see this about Jesus He loves you more than you love Him, and He loved you before you ever loved Him. And so what I want to do is, I want to just draw out the applications for a moment here this morning. Joseph illustrates for us the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the applications are so evident here, they just jump off the page at us and we say, why of course, why of course, this is what is true of me and my relationship with Jesus. Let's look at them for just a moment. Number one, judgment... Is rightly feared by us. Did you notice in this entire episode the outlook of the brothers is one of fear? Three times we are told they are afraid. When they open their money, they're afraid. When they're brought into the house, they're afraid. When the steward speaks to them, he says, Do not be afraid. Why are they afraid? Because all the events they have been going through have been stirring up a guilty conscience. Remember what they're guilty of? Human trafficking. If I asked you today, how evil is human trafficking? You would say to me, Pastor, it's one of the most evil things that is going on in the world today. To traffic another human being. And they had trafficked not just another human being, but their own brother. And they are now experiencing the psychology of sin. In the midst of this trouble, they simply cannot escape the fact that they have a guilty conscience. May I ask you this morning, why do we feel guilty before God? Why do we? Well, look at what the New Testament says is the reason why we feel guilty before God. Would you read with me James 2 and verse 10? Let's read it together. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Pastor John Calvin has a very helpful comment about this. Listen to what he says. Even were it possible for us to perform works absolutely pure, yet one sin is sufficient to erase and extinguish all remembrance of former righteousness. And we all know we've committed far more than one sin. Do you know what is interesting here? At each point, the brothers are afraid something good is happening to them. Uh, They're afraid and they find more money in their sacks. They're afraid and they're invited into a banquet. They're afraid and their brother Simeon is united with them. At every point they are afraid something good is actually happening to them. And I want us to think about this this morning. Even though we rightly fear the judgment of Jesus, He is constantly reaching out to us with His goodness. Is He not? Yes. Yes. Look at application number two. Jesus offers peace with God and reconciliation. In verse 23, when the steward said to them, Peace to you, do not be afraid. It's the normal Hebrew greeting. It is the word for shalom. In fact, three times in the interaction with Joseph, shalom is used. Drop down to verse 27, and he inquired about their welfare, shalom, They said, he said, is your father well, shalom. And then they said in verse 28, your servant our father is well, shalom. Do you remember? Do you remember way back at the beginning? Their hatred for Joseph was so great they could not speak shalom to him but when their father said i want you to go and check on your brother shalom the bible says that immediately joseph went seeking their shalom now once again joseph's theme toward his brothers is shalom is shalom Would you read another wonderful New Testament verse with me this morning? Ephesians two thirteen and 14. Would you read it with me? In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. What is Jesus' theme towards you this morning? Shalom. Jesus' theme for all of us is shalom if we will repent and believe. Notice the third application. Number three, Jesus gives the riches of his grace. He gives the riches of his grace. This lavish banquet that Joseph provided for them was in addition to the treasure that was returned to them back in verse 23. Did you remember how the steward said to them, Listen, your God and the God of your father is the one who returned the treasure to you. This is a very interesting word. The word treasure here means hidden treasure or buried treasure. And that's exactly what happened. On their first journey home, the treasure was buried in their sacks. And when they opened that treasure, their sacks, what they saw was the treasure in the sack. And then it was far more than they ever expected. It was unexpected and more than expected. You know what this reminds me of? Jesus' wonderful parable on the buried treasure. Look at Matthew 13.44 and would you read this with me? You can't miss it. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. When we come to Jesus, we're heirs of the kingdom. We're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We are recipients of a hidden treasure far more than we could ever expect. And then notice one more thing. Finally, this episode teaches us this Jesus brings right relationships in his family. Did you notice at this banquet, the youngest brother, Benjamin, gets five times as much as the older ten? And you've got to ask this question, why does Joseph give five times as much to the youngest one than the older ten? Listen carefully. What Joseph wants to know is, have my brothers changed? Now that Benjamin is the favored in my place, in his father's eyes, does the old jealousy exist? Are their hearts still filled with hatred? Were these men changing under the work of God in their lives? And what's the answer? Yes. Look at this. Benjamin gets five times as much, and yet what does it say? They drank, and they were merry with five times left. There's no jealousy. There's no rivalry. There's no envy. There's no hatred. They enjoy what God has given to them, while Joseph enjoys, Benjamin enjoys what God has given to him. Can you see? the family unity is being restored. This was a family fractured. This was a family divided. This was a family where there was envy and favoritism and jealousy. And now, under the healing love of God, the unity is being restored. Say, doesn't Jesus take the selfishness from us? Doesn't He? If we will let Him, Jesus will take the selfishness from us. And all the ugly things inside of us that fracture us and divide us and ruin our relationships and rip us apart, Jesus can reach down and begin to take those things out of us so that we have relationships like God intended. Do you see? Joseph is an illustration of Jesus. Judgment is rightly feared by us, But Jesus offers peace with God and reconciliation. And when we accept that peace and reconciliation, then hidden treasure is ours, the riches of God. And then He goes to work on us, taking out the selfishness so we can be all that He wants us to be in our own families and in the family of God. A few Sundays ago, when I preached on the first part of this chapter, at the end I shared with you Steve Green's wonderful song, The Refiner's Fire. And that song talks about how God, for every believer, uses many means, sometimes painful, to refine us, to purge us, and to change us. Did you know? I only played verse 1. You know what verse 2 says? The entire work of God in our lives changing us is based on? The mercy of God. I want to play verse 2 for us. And I want you to see today that everything that God wants to do in your life is based upon His merciful love. And if you will accept that merciful love in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, He will not only save you, but He will change you. And you will recognize whatever He has allowed to come into your life is for your good. And you will love Him because He first loved you. Let's listen now, shall we? And watch verse 2 of the refiner's
1: fire. brave the fires embrace. For though my past with sin was etched, His mercies did erase. Each time His purging cleanses deep. I'm not sure that I'll survive. Yes. soul desire, purged and cleansed and purified, that the Lord be
0: God's people said together? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our hearts and let's close our eyes. Have you embraced the mercy of God in Jesus Christ? He loves you more than you could ever love Him. He loved you long before you ever loved Him. And everything He wants to do in your life is based on mercy. It is the foundation for the whole work of God for everyone who will believe. And this morning, if you have not embraced the mercy of God in Christ, He is speaking to your heart what more could He have done for you? He has done everything possible for your salvation, your fellowship with the eternal God, and your right, right walking in this world. And so this morning, if you're unsure about where you stand, would you turn to Him now? Say, Lord Jesus... The whole Bible is about you. From beginning to end, there is one theme, and that theme is Christ. And this morning, would you say, Lord Jesus, the sinner that I am, I come to you for mercy. I believe that you died for me and rose again. I believe that you're the eternal Son of God. In this moment, the best I know how, I repent. I turn from my own way and I turn to You. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, be my Lord. Forgive me. Give me new life. Make me a child of God. And then say, Lord Jesus, now, as a recipient of your mercy, captivated by your love, I will seek to live for you with all my heart, knowing that when I fail, you will be there for me. You will never take your love from me. you may say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Lord Jesus Christ, nothing is left to be said, but we love you because you first loved us. In your name, amen.